The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. You are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Side Studies. Welcome back to the Burrows of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left, I've got Billy Eye Candy Kimsey. Delish like a Hershey's kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. To my right, I've got Cherry the Annihilator Lewis. Hello. (laughs) I'm going with the Annihilator. (laughs) Behind the glass, I got Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. Andy the Annihilator. Yeah. I like the Annihilator. I'm jealous. Uh, Andy the Annihilator, Aaron Bishop. Well, you just got to say Andrew if you're going to say my middle name. Andrew the Annihilator, Aaron Bishop. (laughs) And we also have a special guest, my great friend, Rodney Lewis, Cherry's husband. Hello. It's so nice to see you. It's good to see you, brother. Have you listened to any of this stuff? Uh, My wife says I have, but I was asleep. (laughs) (laughs) So if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's around to be awake for it. So if my wife says I heard it, I heard it. I want everybody to know that if you are suffering from insomnia, the burrows of Berea. Put you to sleep. Put you right to sleep. Here to help. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, uh, we have Rodney here. He's going to sit in with us on our fifth part of the Olivet Discourse, but also I've asked him to come and bring his personal testimony, which is really fun. And I'm I'm looking forward to that. So thanks for being here, bro. You're welcome, bro. I was going to have you here in September, so better late than never. We're way off on that. But uh, yeah, the um, I'm going to start off with a joke. I haven't oh, done okay. one in a while, oh, okay. right? And everything's so serious. I have a, a great friend of mine told me he, that he's been listening to the podcast, and he said, I got to be honest with you, man. It's like drinking from a fire hose when I'm listening to this thing. So, because we bring so yeah. much oh, information. Yeah, I see yeah. that. Yeah. I like that a little bit for me sometimes. Yeah, it yeah. takes me two weeks to, to just kind of, what was Rick saying again? You know, so yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is this hurting your faith at all? No. Hmm. No. You know, I think because I'm. What you do you know, mean by hurting? Like, like. Well, like, I'm talking about. I'm looking at it from a predator's like, point of view. Like, in the, sinning more? Yeah. Like, or, are you are yeah, you yeah, now yeah, like uh, laying up with some old? No. Are you? <laughs> you <many>? know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just you know, some sometimes you know whenever you know when you're a young Christian. Um, it said, you know, it says in the scriptures that you should give them milk and not meat, right? And so okay. the meat is for a more mature Christian. And this is for a more m- mature Christian. But if it's somebody that's very interested, people who are on fire and want to learn, like you can come to this. But uh, as we say at the top of the podcast in our intro, this is opinion and speculation. You mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm speculating on things. Yeah. Am I fully 100%? Yes, this is the way it is. I don't know anybody that actually is. And the people that say they are, they change. They change over time. Oh, they yeah. They just do. That comes with, you know, people you see that's on fire, you're burning to hell, man. It's going to happen. And then 10 years later, they're like the most graceful person and they understand. And that it's because the Holy Spirit works in people and changes people over time. If yeah, you life think changes you. you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think you know so, everything now? Yeah. Yeah. No. Especially when it comes to the Bible. You know, yeah. the, no, not at all. So, all right, so I'm going to kick off with the joke. Just to, we'll start it off lighthearted, and then I'm going to. So, uh, so a bus, a bus full of ugly people, crash 
and burning all the people die and they go to heaven. And they're standing at the pearly gates in front of old Larry, the 15th apostle. <laughs> and they walk up and they're like, hey, uh, is it possible that we could ask for something, you know, kind of special? And he's like, well, I'm not sure. What do you mean? And I'm like, well, I don't want to go into heaven ugly. Like, can you grant me a wish? And they were like, actually, we can. He's like, I, I want to go into heaven beautiful. Poof. The first person turned beautiful. And so there was like three people behind him and they're like, what? And they're like, I want to be beautiful too. And I want to be, you know, and they all just ask for this beauty so they can go into heaven beautiful. And the guy at the end is just laughing like crazy. And he, and he gets up to the front and Larry's like, what? Uh, what's so funny? He's like, I wish all those people were ugly again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, I thought so. It's very dad joke-like. How did that guy make it to heaven? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't get in. They kicked him straight to hell. So we are in the fifth part of the Olive Discourse. Uh, if, for those of you who've listened, the last episode was on the Great Tribulation. I had said that I'm looking at it as a past event because of what happened in AD 70 whenever Jerusalem was destroyed by the Roman army and the temple was burned to the ground. And when Jesus had said that these things would happen in their generation, and a generation is 40 years, and literally it was 40 years. Within 40 years, the whole system, the economic system, the religious system, everything, Judaism was completely ended at that moment. And so, but we went through all of the details of what that tribulation looked like. And I mean, you remember how, Oh yeah. I mean, it was brutal. Yeah. Like what happened to the Jewish nation at that time was so brutal. And Rodney, if you can stay awake long enough, you should listen to it. It is really, really, <laughs> it, it'll put you to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe do it in a couple parts, like five over yeah. a whole week or something. <laughs> but so like I said, that friend of mine that told me that it's like drinking from a fire hose, today is going to be no different. In order to get through the Olivet Discourse, you got to understand that this is a very, very deep section of Scripture where Christ himself is telling his disciples what's coming to, happen, you know, coming to pass. And it's a terrifying thought if you use audience relevance and you act like a disciple and you sit down on the Mount of Olives with Jesus and pretend that you're Peter or pretend that you're Thomas. And you say, you know, when is this going to happen? When are you going to, you know, what, what is the sign of your coming? When will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? When are you going to, you know, usher in the, you know, your kingdom? And he says, there's going to be some false Christs that come. There's going to be some earthquakes. There's going to be pestilences. And oh, by the way, you're going to be put to death. You're going to die. You're going to suffer and you're going to die. And so it had to have been for them, it had to have been like, wait, I thought that, you know, we've, we've left everything that we had for you and here we are with you. And you're saying, yeah, you know, I'm going to die. I'm going to go and I'm going to come back for you. But, you know, this generation will not pass until all these things that I just said will take place. So it's, I'm asking people, like I said, opinion and speculation, look at it from this point of view. Just take a minute and do a paradigm shift and imagine that this is a transcript of a conversation and that these things that Jesus said that he was prophesying on actually happened. I think I sent you a verse today, uh, Cherry. I need to look that up. It was from Luke. And it it says something else that is, guys, it's unmistakable to me. Um, it is in, where was it, Cherry? Luke what? Or was it Matthew. I got the one from Matthew. Matthew. It was Matthew 16, 24 through 28. I'm going to read that just to give you a little bit more context. So if you will, just go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. 
So then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We all know that one. Uh, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Now listen closely. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now listen. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So that's just, it's like even more so in that emphasis. This is earlier in 16 than later in 24. This generation shall not pass till all these things take place. And we've talked about how C.S. Lewis had said that's the most embarrassing verse in the scripture because. You know, though, well, obviously it didn't happen, but then later on he said that only the father knew, the son didn't know, and so he sort of gave himself a, an out. A little soft landing. Yeah, like an out of it, but that's not it at all. Christ knew what he was talking about. I don't believe that Christ was a false prophet, and I believe that all of these writers of the New Testament that said, behold, I am coming quickly, he will be here soon, it is the last hour in these last days, this was all written 2,000 years ago. And he was. they were writing these letters to people that were going to read these letters. And so, if you go to Revelation, and it says, to the seven churches that are in Asia Minor, behold, I am coming quickly. Well, if you're there, and you're reading it, and it says, I'm coming quickly, but it's 2,000 years from now, then how is that relevant to anything that they're, that they're reading? It's not relevant to them. It's like, just kidding. <laughs> we'll see you in a couple thousand years, you know? But we still, you know, Cherry and I have been talking about how how do you fit the millennial reign and all this? And I don't know. I, I really don't know how. What is the, back it up for the one that doesn't know anything. What's the millennial reign? Okay, so in Revelation chapter 20. Nothing to do with the millennium falcon. It does, yes. Han okay. Solo comes back. Excellent. No. <laughs> Basically, in Revelation 20, this is toward the end of the book of Revelation, um, after all of these things that we've been reading about has taken place, the destruction of the temple and the Antichrist and the holy place and all these things happen, then there's a new heaven and a new earth, right, at the end. But right before that, it says that Christ, that the, there's an angel that takes Satan and puts him in the abyss. He has the keys to the abyss, and he locks Satan in the abyss for 1,000 years. It says 8,000 years. And that Christ will rule and reign with his disciples, basically on the earth, for that thousand years, and then they will release Satan again for a short period of time, and then he will be completely obliterated forever, thrown into everlasting fire that was prepared for him and for his angels, okay? So, the millennial reign, if it's an accurate, literal thousand years, then where did that happen, and when did Jesus ever sit on the throne in Jerusalem? That hasn't happened. And so, because it hasn't happened, it you know it's difficult, it's like... Well, we're going to have to, how do you reword this? But see, if you study dispensationalism, which is a futurist view, and you take the rapture and and then you take the Antichrist and the temple and all the things that I was talking about, how I said, I don't believe the temple will ever be rebuilt because God ended it. He destroyed it. They killed his son. That was the worst crime ever. He said, I'm done. He divorced him forever. But you got to remember the people that were getting saved at the time were Jewish, Yes, God sent it to the Gentiles, yes. But at first, he said, go to 
Jerusalem, go to Judea and Samaria and then the uttermost parts, he went to his people first. And so those that came to him and believed in him, they were Jewish. And so they didn't get destroyed because of the old system. They were actually brought into the new. And so if they did die, Paul Paul tried to comfort them and said, look, don't worry if you know people that have died before the resurrection happened, because the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up in the air and forever be with the Lord. And so forever be with the Lord, right? So that that those words, those verses, if you read them and you understand the American dispensationalism, they they literally believe that dead people are going to explode out of the ground, that People that are alive are going to start floating up in the air, and then they're going to go to heaven with Jesus. Like, that's that's the belief, yeah. right? Yeah. But that doesn't work with the language of the Old Testament. You, If you take three quarters of the Bible out of it and just read the New Testament on its own, and then try to make sense of it with an American culture mind, yeah, it sounds like you're flying in the air. It sounds like the end of the world. It sounds like all of it. But if you take the first three quarters of the Bible and you study it thoroughly and you understand the symbology, the figurative language, the literal language, and how these prophets spoke, then when you get to the New Testament, it helps you interpret Contextualize both, both to each other. Things. You yeah. can't read the Old Testament. Like, if you read the Old Testament through a New Testament mind, you're already doing yourself a disservice. You need to read it from the Old Testament perspective to understand the world that Christ was in. And then whenever these New Testament writers started writing, they knew the Old Testament. That's what they learned their whole lives. That's what they lived. That was their religious system. So they're communicating in this specific way. And so until you can understand the culture and understand the language, and there's a giant language barrier. How many times do we talk about that? You know, That's why I was asking earlier, you're like, I'm talking about some things. Am I hurting your faith? Am I hurting you as a person that's trying to study? You have your beliefs. And I've said from the beginning, eschatology it's a unique thing. You know, you can all believe in a futurist way, but you've got different sects of churches that say, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And some say, I believe that it happens right after the three and a half year period, then the mid-tribulation we get raptured out, and then when the hell breaks loose, then, you know, we're not there. And then we have people that believe in a post-tribulation rapture, and it's all futurist view. Yeah. So, they can't all be right. No. no. Correct? Somebody's yeah. got to be wrong. Right, so they have their verses of scripture that they use, and they speculate. So do I. I've Technically, gotten, none of them have to be right. True, you could say all of them were wrong, and or you could say that the the scary thing, if if Jesus believed he was the Son of God, if Jesus when when he was on the cross, he says, "My God, My God, why hast thou forsaken me?" And we know it's in Psalm twenty two. I said Psalm two earlier. I apologize. It's in Psalm twenty two. And it's a prophetic psalm that's talking about, you know, the end of life for the Messiah. And he, but Jesus actually says it on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So quick question, and anybody can answer. Why did he say that on the cross? I always figured he was part human, really, as much as people would absolutely disagree with that. I mean, of course, I don't really think there was any divine in him, but I think, you know, as a human, I think at that moment, if there's any amount of human in that thing, at that moment, she got to be having some uh, some doubts and uh, what's the right word? Regrets. Mm-hmm. You have to. If there's if there's any amount of mortal being in that, if you yeah. be- if you believe there's any amount of mortal being in that thing, then that is a reasonable thing to say. Right. Why me? Yeah. Who's separated from the Father? That's right. Yeah. That's exactly why. Yeah. So having knowing that 
there's this great transaction that's going on that he's giving his life for ours, that he's had this relationship for eternity with God the Father, and God the Father is absolutely destroying him to end sin on planet Earth. That's right. And so while he's doing that, Christ is being, he's already emptied his divinity out and he's going to die as a man. And remember, we talked about that in an earlier podcast, how he literally emptied his divinity out. And that's why I think it's so important that the the thief on the cross said what he said when he did. Refresh my memory. So he says, remember me, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And by saying that, he's looking at this bloodied up, beaten to death man with a crown of thorns on his head and a ripped beard, spit upon, and he sees a king. It's a very interesting thing that's happening on this in this, yeah. these deaths sure. of these men. And you have one man on the left, one man on the right. The man that's on the left looks at him and is like, look, if you're the Messiah, get us out of here, man. Like, fly us out. Like, you can make these things explode out of the ground. We can fly to the sun. Like, let's go, right? And then the other, the other thief, who I believe knew him, because he said, we're guilty of our deeds. How could he know that unless they'd ran together mm-hmm. as thieves? So they ran together, and he was like, we're guilty of our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. So how does he know that? Because he's been around. He's seen what's going on, you know? As we talked, public, very public figure That's at that right. Point. And he's very aware. He probably knew somebody that knew Jesus. He probably even been told about Jesus. He knew about salvation because he knew to ask for it. So he had most likely been witnessed to by somebody in that circle. And so he took the moment and he saw a king and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He'd already, Jesus had already said, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he looks over. I think that that would have been an encouragement to a man that had emptied the divine and was going to die for the sins of the world. That was a an encouragement to the Christ at that moment. That's what I see it as, and it could be wrong, but you, you know, know, just that thief could have been one of the five thousand that were fed. That's right. He could have been at any time. He he could have crossed paths with him. That's right. You know, maybe maybe he was at the uh, at the well. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, right. Maybe he was passing through. And heard about what he had done. That's right. But you're right. He knew him. He knew him. And he knew to ask for it. That's exactly right. And so that means he had gotten the information. Yep. You know, at some point. And whether it was a desperate cry or not, it doesn't matter. And also, for him, once his legs were broke, you know, they don't die immediately. It takes a little while. They suffer. Right. But right after they broke his legs, that's when the Roman centurion came up because Christ had died. Right. And he said, surely this must be the son of God. Yep. That would have been encouragement for the man that was dying. Yep. And by the way, when he died, it was right then that he was in paradise. That's right. what he called in paradise. Today, yep. you will be with me in paradise. That's right. So, it's, you know, for me, Christ, Christ was so on point always, that for him to say this to the disciples about the Olivet, you know, during the Olivet Discourse about the end of time, I decided like, okay, I'm going to take these time statements and I'm going to put them in the actual time and see what happened. Did did the earthquakes happen? Yes. All all I can see is like a a Rick's wall with a bunch of pieces of paper and string. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like the communists are coming and I cut up magazines and got bigger letters and smaller. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Looking through history for, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but- if you, when you put it in time and you actually say, okay, the temple was destroyed in AD seventy. If all of these, all of these uh, gospels and all of these epistles that were written, if you listen to them, there's an urgency to them. 
that things are going to come soon. It's going to happen quickly. Yeah, I all definitely of them hear, have I it. hear that. In, in the all of them that have. It's coming soon. It's happening quickly. He, you know, the time is near. It's the last hour. Like they all say it, and it's it's amazing. You actually start seeing it. Like, oh, wait, they all believed it was coming right right then. Like they all thought it was happening, and it did. The temple was destroyed. The old heaven and earth, the old temple where God would dwell with man, ended. And God said, and Jesus himself said it, Jerusalem. You wept over Jerusalem. I've tried to gather you under my wings like a hen does her chicks, and you would not have me. Behold, I leave to you your house desolate. They killed him, and then he wiped them out. And we're still talking about it to this day. But here's the thing. Most churches aren't actually talking about it. Have, right. How many times have you ever heard in the church that the, that the temple was destroyed in eighty seventy? Oh, never. Have. You have. I really want to hear more about this. Where was this at? Philip preached it right after you said it. What? Yep. Wow. He knew. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. He actually even uh, mentioned the uh, abomination of desolation too in the same Sunday morning service. Really? Did he say that the abomination of desolation had already happened? I don't remember exactly if he said it had happened, but he did say that the temple was destroyed in AD 70. Yes. Yes, he did. Right. I had a conversation not too long ago with him about this, and I told him that I'm, I'm more of a partial preterist than I am a futurist, and I said that I want to give the dispensationalist a fair shake. There might be some people listening to the podcast that have no idea what I'm talking about, so I want to give it a fair shake. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to do it right this second, but we are going to go into it and look at this Olivet Discourse as if it's future and how— how they word it and make it work, you know? And if you don't know it, read the Left Behind series. There's like, what, 11, 12 books, you know? And a horrible Kirk Cameron movie, if you'd like to watch it, you know, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good on that movie, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, they also have another one that Nick Cage was in. Nicholas, what? Nicholas Cage was in it? I no I've seen that one. It, it's, yeah. It's better. Is it better? Yeah, it's better. Here's Nick Cage is one of those people. I'd watch him eat watermelon. It's probably kind of entertaining. <laughs> yeah. You know, even in trash, Nick Cage is like still kind of watchable. Here's my impersonation <laughs> of Nicolas Cage. Ready? Who? What? Where? That's more like Keanu Reeves. Sorry, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a- was, yeah. Yeah. It was <laughs> a little bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually a really bad impersonation. So, Billy, since you've been in this, you know, we've been studying this, you know, have you listened to all of them? Have you got through the Olivets so yeah, far? Yeah. The ones that you weren't a part of? Uh, no, not those. Not just, those. Okay. Yeah, just just the ones that that we've sat in here. Yeah, yeah. So it's not hurting your faith to look at it from a different point of view. No, no. Right. I like looking at it from a point of view. Mm-hmm. Like like one of the facts that you gave us last week was like the church has only been preaching this for like 150 years for the last yeah. 150 years. And I got the math wrong. It's 190. But okay, okay. Yeah. okay. Well, <laughs> let's just say fault. a couple hundred years. You know? Yeah, a couple hundred years. And. Uh, to me, that is just like crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it's a, it, not a huge it, amount of time, right? It, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, so um, I don't know. No, no, it 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 helps me look at uh, things differently. So, so it's, it's not hurting my faith one bit, right? If anything, making it stronger because it's almost like you said one time you were like you're kind of relieved, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't know what you meant by that, but I kind of do now. Yeah, like if this is the new heaven and earth. And, you know, we're not in the middle of a sin when Jesus comes back. 
You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Right. So, um, which, and by the way, if you're a believer in him, you're not going to heaven because you didn't sin that day. Well, yeah. You're going to heaven because of what Christ did for you. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's not hurting whatsoever. Yeah. So that for relief for me wasn't really about the sin, it was about understanding how I'm growing as a Christian and how I relate to the world that's around me. You know, whenever Moses was here, it said, you know, in the law, the law said to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. But when Jesus came and was on the sermon, did the sermon on the mount, he said, "You've heard that it was said, love your, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy." That's a new law. That's that he's ushering in that new law for the new kingdom, right? So if you think about it, if every day your life is surrounded by 613 laws in the Old Testament, and you have to go to the this temple at Passover, and you've got to bring your spotless lamb, and you've got to get it, you know, uh, sacrificed, you know, for your family, and the chief priest is doing all this, and your sins aren't atoned for unless this happens. Like your sins are not atoned for in the old covenant. To pay the sin tax. That's right, and that's what you had to do is you had to bring your things to the temple. You had to you had to sacrifice wherever, and you had to have a priest to do it, and. If you didn't do it, then your sins wouldn't be atoned for. That's why when the chief priest went to the Holy of Holies, they had that little bell to ring. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, did he live? Did he, are we atoned? <laughs> I mean, think about if that if that was your life, if you were living in that world, like that's what you had to do, knowing what you know now, that would be pretty awful, right? Yes. I mean, awful, in my opinion. And so Christ ushers in this new kingdom, this new covenant, he he gives his blood, he gives his body, he does all these things, and then he tells his disciples, I'm going to eradicate that place and you're going to see it. He said it. He, it's not like he didn't tell them they were going to see it. He believed it was going to mm-hmm. happen and they believed it was going to happen too. And all the writers of the New Testament believed it was going to happen. If they didn't, then it's just like, to me, it's like a big joke. So that's why I'm a partial preterist right now. I don't understand the millennium. I don't know how all this stuff splits up. I am not a theologian. I am just a layman. You know, but I'm a partial preterist because these significant events are what Jesus said would happen, and I trust what He says over what anybody in this room says. I go with what He says, you know, and that's how I look at it. So anyway, so if you don't believe me, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. We could just change the name of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Rick's right. You're wrong. If you don't believe me, you're wrong. Right. So I've, as I've been talking about this, I just want it, you know, we're all saying that um, we're all at least attempting to look at it from being a disciple and sitting there with Jesus and listening to what he had to say and imagining that this is actually going to take place in their generation. That's what I'm trying to do. If my beliefs change because the Bible teaches me to believe different, I will change my beliefs. But I have always been a dispensationalist. So it's a whole new look for me. Yeah. All right. Now, it's important as far as the way that what the scripture says about itself in in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When you turned your head a second ago, Cherry, were you thinking KJV? Yeah, I was going to say to Rodney, he's reading out of the English Standard All Version. Scripture is God-breathed and provided. That's what it says in the King James Version. I'm reading the English Standard Version because I understand it much better. So, 
You really think you're smart, don't you? I don't. The scriptures are God breathed. <laughs> He's just right, not smart. <laughs> That's right. And exactly. if you don't believe him, you're wrong. Yeah. And, you know, try reading Harry Potter in Old English and see how much you enjoy it. You, I don't know if you would enjoy it in modern English. So. <laughs> right. No, I'm good. <laughs> but so it, it says that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's God breathed and it's profitable for us. It wasn't written to us, but it was for us, for our benefit, right? So I've been driving that one home for quite some time. The, but this particular passage of Scripture, when you, if you're looking at it from that Second Timothy point of view, it is very difficult to understand because Jesus's language begins to change. As, you know, the sun will be darkened and the moon will lose its light. If you don't know the Old Testament, you won't understand what he's saying, and it's going to sound really weird. It's it's riveting, and you're like, oh, something happened, and it's changing, you know? So, as you remember that in verse 21 from uh, Matthew 24, he says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. So, this event is going to be the worst event in human history. And everything that I've read, it made World War II look like a fairy tale, it was brutal. There were some brutal things in World War II, too, but not like what happened to this people. The Germans are still here, by the way. They still have their government. They're still doing what they want. The Japanese are still here. They, they're more profitable now than we are. We've helped build that nation back. But the Jewish nation in Jerusalem and the temple, the temple is still not there. They've never had the Levitical priesthood again. Their religious system has been destroyed. It is done. It's gone. So let's move on. So... Um, actually, I want to read that again. I, I sort of talked about the Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I want to actually read it. Um, Jesus had said, you know, in Matthew 24, that there's nothing going to be like it. And he knew what was coming and he weeps at it. It says in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you had known on this day, the things that make for peace but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He's talking about, I'm here, and they're going to kill him, right? So um, let's read the next verse in the Olivet Discourse. Verse 22, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. If you guys want to know what the elect is and what predestination is and all that other stuff, feel free to go to some of the previous argument, <laughs> the miracle of birth episodes that we had, and you'll sort of hear my take on it, you know, where um, when are you born and when do you make the choice to believe in God? Because we do make a choice, but my question was, had God regenerated you and changed you to receive the message so you could respond in the appropriate manner? This is for the for the crowd. This is where Ralph disagreed with Rick uh, quite a bit because <laughs> Ralph believed that you had made a choice and Rick believes more so that the choice was sort of made for you. Yeah, it's if you're dead in trespasses and sins, I would I, I dare anybody, it would be an awful thing to do, but go up to a dead person at a funeral and ask them to do something for you and see how far you get. If you're dead in trespasses and sins and you ask that person to do something that Jesus is talking about spiritually, 
you're not going to do it. A sinner is not going to act like a crew. They might act like one for a little while, but it's not going to work. Mm-mm. Right? So that that change. And so I'm just saying, like the wind, you don't know where it goes, but here it comes. You know, I'm not going to get it. Listen to the miracle of birth okay. and born of water and spirit, and you can get back into that. And so, um, but let's look at the word in this. Let's look at the word saved here. I've talked about this in the past. He says, no human being would be saved. That's verse 22. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So the word saved, I did a word search in the uh, Strong's Concordance, and the Greek word is sozo, and it has a wide range of meanings. And it can be physical healing, rescue from danger, spiritual deliverance of various kinds, uh, preservation from final judgment. That's what it can be used at. Um, But if we use this word in this context, you can, in my study guide, in Acts chapter 27, verse 31, whenever the ship is being you know, like dashed against the stones and Paul's in it and all these people are in it, you know, and people are getting ready to jump off the ship because it's getting destroyed. Paul says to the centurion in uh, verse 31 of Acts 27, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Now, I've heard sermon after sermon after sermon, like, if you get in that boat with Jesus, then don't get out of it. And I, I'm sorry I'm using that. <laughs> I love that voice. <laughs> I just do it because it's like a lot of times when you hear it, like sometimes we take these scriptures, we pull them out of context, and I'm not saying it's bad or wrong in this necessarily, but they're saying if you don't, if you get out of the boat, you won't be saved. Well, it's my opinion that you can't get out of the boat. Yeah. You can't get in the boat with Jesus if you ain't saved already. Right. Exactly. So I can't get in the boat. And if I get out of the boat, I can't. He's talking about their life, their physical life at the time, okay? It's what he's saying. So, if you take that same belief, what Paul is saying to them, if you jump out of here, you're going to die. He's not saying you won't have everlasting salvation. He's saying right. you're going to die right now. So, use, it's used in the same way that when he says that the elect would be saved. He's saying, at this time, if God hadn't stopped it and been shortened the days, you wouldn't have made it. Right. That's all it's saying. You wouldn't have made it. So God was merciful to his people. So that word gives, all of the Father gives to me, okay? When I talk about the elect in the past, I didn't really go into this, but Jesus himself says something in John chapter 6. If you read John chapter 6, verse 37, and you go all the way to 44, it's pretty amazing. I'm just going to read verse 37 for now. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So notice closely what it says. All that the Father gives me will come to me. You get it? It doesn't say all that come to me, now the Father's give. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So you can't jump out of the boat. The Father has given Christ a gift. He's given him a gift. And it's spoken of in Isaiah, okay? Listen, to, in Isaiah 8, verse 18 That word gives takes on some meaning. Listen, he says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. So if you ask yourself, well, who's speaking here in Isaiah? Go back and read chapter 8 in Isaiah and just listen to who's talking. It's pretty interesting. But when you go to the epistle written to the Hebrews, he tells you who's talking. Verse uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13, he says, And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. He's quoting Isaiah. So he's actually saying that it's Christ 
that's speaking in Isaiah chapter eight. It's pretty amazing, guys. It's it, this I can like a fire it's, hose. It was so many rabbit trails. I just I'm lost. I'm I know you lie. are. Yeah. Whenever I tell people to look up a verse, if they want to look it up, then they should go back and they should read it. I'm bringing it to you with a fire hose. Okay, I don't have 48 hours to talk about this verse. So, well, I do, but I can't afford you, Andy. (laughs) So, all right. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, we know that verse. He was wounded for our transgressions, and it's one of the most beautiful verses talking about the Messiah. But this is, in that 53, is another point where, where the Father is promising the Son this reward for his suffering, okay? It's, and it's us. The, he, we are his reward. And verse, chapter 53, verse 10 and 11, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He shall see his offspring, it says. This is the reference to the elect of God at this point. This is what he's talking about. That's the offspring, right? And we are co-heirs with Christ. He was the firstborn of, right? The firstborn of many brothers. Okay. So, it was because of the gift given to God, the elect, that was that God had given to Christ— the time was shortened. So in the Olivet Discourse, to put that in context, Jesus is like, this is so terrible. If God hadn't stopped it, none of you would have made it. It was that bad, but he stopped it. All right, so let's talk about um, the historian Josephus makes mention of some, some interesting points at this point, right? Here's the days were shortened. It says, Titus himself was desirous of putting a speedy end to the siege having Rome and the riches and the pleasures there before his eyes. Some of his officers proposed to him to turn the siege into a blockade, and since they could not take the city by storm, to starve it into a surrender, but he thought it not becoming to sit still with so great an army, and he feared lest the length of the time should diminish the glory of his success. Everything indeed may be effected in time, but speed contributes much to the fame and splendor of actions. And we know that the faster they can do something, the more fame they got. They didn't use a lot of resources. They didn't lose a lot of people. They just went in there. It's like Desert Storm, right? During the time of Bush Sr., it's like Norman Schwarzkopf. Storm and Norman goes in there, boom. And it's over. it was over before it really got started, remember? Yeah, they're trying to make the political cost as low as possible. Exactly. Sure. And so it was like, oh, they're heroes and we move on. You know, it's kind of the same way. Titus is like, I need to get this done. Let's get it quick. And that's, in essence, what God did was use them to make that happen. But in order to shorten it, the Jews did it too, because remember, they were sort of self-sabotaging by having a civil war and burning up all their food and doing all the, you know, oh, damaging yeah. each other. Like, they had this internal skirmish, a civil war going on in the walls, and Titus is trying to hurry it up, hurry it up, and it's like, <laughs> everything's working just like Jesus said it would, right? So, the days were shortened. All right, so we'll go on to the next verse after uh, 22, or verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. So Jesus is cautioning his disciples again. He'd already said it earlier, remember? He says it in the very beginning, there'll be false Christ. All right, so now he's he's doing it again. He's reemphasizing at this point, and there's a reason. 
because inside the city walls, according to, to Josephus and Tacitus, there were some false Christs that elevated right before the temple was destroyed. So in verse 24 of Matthew 24, it says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So he mentions the elect again. These false Christs were so compelling and so believable that everybody kind of went with them, but the elect did not, but only because they knew what Christ had told them. Okay? So Josephus talks about all kinds of imposters that arose at that time in that three and a half year period that were promising deliverance from God. And um, Hegesippus and Eusebius also mentioned the coming of false Christs and false prophets. Um, Dositheus was reputed to work wonders according to origin for the history, you know, when you talk about the history of the church. Um, and then there was also another one by named Barco Ebebus too. And Jerome, um, St. Jerome had stated um, that this man had pretended to vomit flames. Like these these people just like cropping up out of nowhere, like God's going to deliver us, God. And everybody's like going wherever they go and then people are stabbing each other and eating their kids. And like, it's crazy, right? So verse 26, so if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. So several of the false Christs and these false prophets, it's mentioned in the Antiquities of the Jews, This the, the other book that Josephus wrote. Listen to what he says. Many imposters and cheats persuaded the people to follow them into the desert, where they promised to show manifest wonders and signs done by the providence of God. And many being persuaded suffered the punishment of their folly, for Felix brought them back and chastised them. Do you remember when Ralph said... and the previous episode, I don't know if you heard it, but he was like, man, like Felix, he was like killing a Christ a day. (laughs) (laughs) Remember like, it was like, there were these false prophets that were like cropping up all over the place. And Felix was just having him executed. Like it was crazy. And Felix is the one that Paul stood before. Remember? And he witnessed to him, you know, and he died. um, He he died in Pompeii actually, whenever the Mount Vesuvius exploded and Felix, Felix or Felix. Felix. Felix died in Pompeii. Was was he a like a follower of Christ? He was or a Roman was he governor. Like a Roman Roman governor. He was a Roman governor, and he was one that was that Paul went before, and he witnessed to this Roman governor, and he was like, "You're in, you're crazy with all of your beliefs," you know. And then it says later that he died. Historically, he died in Pompeii. Wow. I guess so. I guess he lived. I think Pompeii was in like what eighty ninety or something. He lived a while. So all right. So, uh, in the uh, Jewish war, it says right here, these imposters, under a pretense of divine inspiration, affecting innovations and changes, persuaded the multitude to grow mad and led them forth into the desert. I put those in quotes so you would see that, because remember, Jesus warned them, as if God would there show them the signs of liberty. Against these, Felix, here he is again, for it seemed to be the foundation of a revolt, sent horse and foot soldiers and slew a great number of them, right? And then Josephus mentions another one, who promised salvation to the people and a cessation of all evils if they would follow him into the desert. But Festus, who was also one that Paul Remember, Paul witnessed to Festus as well. It's another person. Uh, but Festus sent horse and foot soldiers against him and destroyed the deceiver himself and those who followed him. So, and then. So, why, why is Festus killing all these like false prophets? Is, is it, it's creating unrest. Oh, okay. It's basically. So, it's just, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. creating all this unrest. And so, these false Christs are coming up. They've already dealt with Christ. 
he's gone. He's got his followers and they're doing their thing. This, this other false, these other false Christs come up and they're very compelling so much that these people are believing it. You know, now the disciples of Christ don't because Christ has warned them ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So the authorities of the time, they don't mess around. It ain't like us. Like, oh, he said something wrong to me, and then everybody gets their feelings hurt. You know, back then, you say something wrong, and they're they're killing you. Like they're just yeah. they're cutting you open and taking the gold out of your butt. Remember? Yeah, yeah. I remember. <laughs> so there's also you remember he's remember Jesus said about the inner rooms. In that verse, you know, he says not to go into the desert or come, behold, he's going to the inner rooms, don't follow him. So here's, listen to this, here's one, Josephus mentions a false prophet that uh, declared to the people in the city that God commanded them to go up into the temple and there they should receive the signs of deliverance. A multitude of men, women, and children went up accordingly, but instead of deliverance, the place was set on fire by the Romans and 6,000 perished miserably in the flames or by throwing themselves down to escape the flames. Oof. Yeah. That's a so, lot of killing going on. Dude, I'm dude, telling you. Yeah. I am telling you. And I'm going to finish this particular episode with this. And um, then I'm gonna we're going to have a, a talk with Rodney. So this verse is where I want to end it because it sort of starts taking the hard left that Andy was talking about. Okay. Verse 27, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So the coming of the Son of Man will be like lightning, okay? And not to get you know in too far with this, when we think of the end of the world, it's a we think of it as a global event, you know? Dispensationalists look at this as a global event. But how far, you know, just talking literally here, and this is a figurative thing, but how far away can you see lightning from, would you say, on average, maybe? In the mountains or uh, yeah, in wherever. the prairies? Let's talk yeah, about the yeah. longest distances. What do you think? Maybe 100 miles? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Would you maybe, say 100 miles? Maybe, sure. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. That's, that's, that's pretty far. Like, so yeah, maybe you could look to the left like, 100 miles and to the right 100 miles, and it would travel 200 miles total in your you know view, okay? Well, so the coming of the Son of Man, looking as a, as a global event, I've always said in this podcast, I believe it's a localized event. That's why we run to Judea. We flee to the mountains of Judea. Andy brilliantly said, well, if that's the case, it's going to stink for me because I'm not going to get there anytime soon, right? Like, Yeah, I'm so going to be in trouble. It's a, yeah, it's a localized event. And so the lightning is also a localized event, but it's, I think it's about the speed of it, how quick it comes. You know, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Josephus says, the Roman army entered into Judea on the east side of it and carried on their conquest westward, as if not only the extensiveness of the ruin, but the very route which the army would take was intended in the comparison of the lightning coming out of the east and shining even into the west. This is Josephus. This isn't a book of the Bible. This is just a man who is a non-believer that's writing the history, Uh and he used those words, lightning. I mean, I just think it's fascinating though how the Roman armies came. And remember what I said in Luke chapter 24, that when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, you know that the time that the desolation is near. It's the Roman army. The Roman army is the judgment. The Gentiles are going to trample all of this underfoot. And Christ tells them all that. So I'm right, you're wrong. That, that makes sense. <laughs> no, that makes kidding. sense though. I mean, lightning. that makes sense that he was he was 
concerned largely with his immediate world. Right. That yeah. That like we've sense. said before, when 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 the twin towers went down, it changed our world. You know, it just it did. Every, I mean, I can't even go through a, an airport the same way anymore. Since then, everything has changed. Yeah. You know, well, like I can only that, have so much liquid. You know. Yeah, like you said, Andy, he was talking about that time because yeah, even it, it makes sense. It, you know, because Jesus didn't know like. Like I guess he was just talking about that time. Like, it, it, like he, it feels he like it, yeah, that to me. It feels like yeah. It feels yeah, he like he's talking to his people his in that time. Knows, so yeah. you know he's just you know he's not talking about two thousand years down the road. Right. He doesn't know the day or the hour. The son doesn't even know the day or yeah, the hour. Yeah. But but the father does. Yeah. But the son doesn't. Right. So because the son doesn't know the day or the hour but he knows the time frame of the generation he knows it's coming to the end and that god the father is going to send him so either a jesus believed that and it was wrong and he's going to come 10,000 years from now or 4,000 years from it's now or 7,000 years from now it's 2050 right yeah, is that, it, that's the latest is that the date. latest that's the latest date 20, oh man i wonder how many years 2050 yeah so, yeah, so, so I think we should have a podcast that day. They must 30, think it's going to be 2050. That's 102 years. So, do they think that a generation is 102 years? It's interesting, huh? Because the nation of Israel became a nation in 1948. Oh. So, you take 1948 to 2050, and that's 102 years. So, maybe they're thinking that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't remember a hundred years plus rounding because numbers are better when they're round. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if you take, do you remember what I told you guys about that book? Eighty-eight reasons. <laughs> Say that again. I definitely make your jokes into the mic. Yeah, yeah make the joke. It, it, it's gonna suck if uh, I just get the house paid off and, <laughs> and then you know that's it. You're it's all one hand stubble, brother. Because I'm not gonna make it there. <laughs> See, I'm gonna die because I got the COVID vaccine. I'm only gonna live ten years. Oh, oh. So you're good to go. You'll well, get the what life they say? insurance. Yeah. yeah. Who said that, Joe Rogan? I had a patient tell well, me that. Probably Joe Rogan. Oh, okay. Said, well, you yeah. know, they learned it from Joe Rogan. He said, you yeah. know, you're going to die within you know, the 10 years since you got the vaccine. Oh, I said, wow. well, good. At least I know I ain't going to die before then. Yeah. Do yeah, you know what I think yeah. is funny? I think it's funny that Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and Bruce Springsteen, like these ancient, like wonderful musicians, are like stepping out and they're like, ruin my career. Take all my stuff down. I don't care. Yeah, but they don't make their money off Spotify. So Not it's really like, of it. is it a bite with no teeth then? No, it's it's it. but it's more <laughs> for, <laughs> it's more important for publicity than it is like they'll lose some money over it, but that's not their it's not their only stream of revenue. It's not even their main stream of revenue. I'm not sure how much they will even notice because the people that want to consume that music will consume that music. They'll just do it in a different manner. So it's not a hard threat for Neil Young to make because I don't think it's changing his checks much. Yeah. It's, no. it's more about press. It's more about yeah. making the press. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Joe Rogan does say some interesting things. He even came out. He didn't really apologize. He's, I but guess he, said, he sort of did. It needs to be it. more balanced. Like, he needs to get it from their side and this side and yeah. like, talk about it. It's too bad because, you know, it's almost like he's smart, but he's, like, dumb smart. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like a person that wants really to think but can't quite like put the ends together sometimes. Do you know what's so funny? Like um, just through extension here, but when I went to high school at West Henderson, uh, a guy that was a grade ahead of me, Duncan Trussell, 
was uh, he was like an actor in theater, and oh. so was I. Like I did. Some, I didn't realize he's from around here. You know Duncan Trussell? Yeah, he's from around here. Duncan Trussell. I, I graduated. I mean, he graduated at West. Yes, I was in plays with him. I knew Duncan. Wow. So he. That's cool. When he went to L.A., you know, and he started like <laughs> mopping at the Laugh Factory so that he could get on the stage, uh-huh. and he's done very well for himself. Absolutely. He's, yeah, yeah, he's done really well. And so when he moved to L.A., his first roommate was Joe Rogan. Oh, that's how they met. That's how they met. Wild. And so yeah. they were both at the Laugh Factory. They were both working on their you know, comedy together. They became really, really good friends. And so now Joe Rogan's the number one podcast in all the country. Yeah. And Duncan is, he's a guest on the show quite often. And it's so funny to look at that dude and I'm thinking, man, like, you know, I, I went to that school guy with that guy. was in theater. Yeah. I just went to school with him and he was kind of a goofball, you yeah. know? Well, I mean, he's a comedian, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. And another guy that I went to high school, Turhan Kalak, when he went out, to California, and he went to New York first, then he went to California. He's been on like Marvel in Marvel movies. He's been on like Designated Survivor and all this stuff. These guys went to West Anderson. It's hilarious. Yeah. And all I can say is, watch out, Joe Rogan. Here comes the donkeys. Well, we're going to stop there. And then when we get into the the rest of this Olive Discourse, um, uh, it's going to take a hard left, guys. And I'm going to have to do some real digging into the Old Testament to show you what Jesus is talking about. Um, and so that to really give you a good understanding of the symbology that he's using, he's literally talking about the end of the nation of Israel, but I have to prove that to you. And that's what I'm going to do. So anybody else got any jokes? I was the only guy that brings a joke. I, I should, I, I should, I would have to look some up. We've been over yeah. the, I know uh, two Jerry, jokes. Yeah. Would you please bring a joke? I did once. Oh, I thought you were going to point at your husband. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. She said, you're right up. 79 AD, Pompeii. So, uh, 79, so nine years after the destruction. Yeah, 79. Yeah, so all that stuff happened around 66 to 70 so when they were there. So not that hard to get from there to Pompeii, just time-wise. Nope. Yeah. And that, I mean, uh, Pompeii is in Italy, and he was obviously on vacation from Rome. You know, sure. he, yeah. he had just served in Jerusalem, and it sucked major. And so they sent him to Pompeii, and then... <laughs> That's, that's tough. Isn't that brutal? <laughs> yeah. Man. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Billy, I appreciate it. Yep. Andy. Hey. Hey. Rodney, thank you so much for being on this episode. Thanks for having me. And Cherry. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. You guys, thanks for listening. We'll hear you. We'll talk to you next time on the Burroughs of Berea. See ya. I have it. You have it? No. He he actually he has about, He just doesn't know it. He well he did some and then he fell asleep in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Subliminally I said it to him. Uh, okay. Yeah. Put your mouth up to that oh, mic, okay. Rodney. Like that? Right, yes. Yeah, Paul, right. you can move the thing yeah, to yeah, wherever yeah. it ends uh, up being comfortable for you. Please move it. That's good right there. Yeah. Good? You might have to give him some volume. Oh yeah, he All sounds right. a little quiet, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. That's a first. Where's his trick? There he is. Go ahead, check me. All right, now. Is that good? Actually, I'm going to do something over here. All right. All right. He'll edit all this out. All right, so I've listened to your thing. Don't answer yet. Hold hold on. Hold on. Hold that thought. You don't remember listening to it when we started from the beat? (laughs) Stop talking. I can repeat myself, I promise. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that sounds much better, Andy. I can hear myself now. That's really good.
You like that, don't you? I do. I like that. <laughs> I would give a pair of headphones. Like, people, people you want to listen to yourself? Go ahead. Stop there are, there are people that like, you put them in the booth on a mic, and it's just like, it's time to perform. Yeah. <laughs> and you just, it's the only way to get like music recorded with that sort of person is to literally get everybody outside of the, out of the building. Yeah. Because they'll just stand on the mic and like be funny or whatever. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Do you believe the second coming's in the future? Then you're a Baptist. You're a Baptist. <laughs> Jesus, he is coming. No, that makes me a futurist. Way, way before this podcast is over about him coming back. <laughs> That's funny. I can see Rick now. We'll be sitting in here when we're 80. 620. Yeah, he's coming now. Where's he at? Do you think he's coming? No. Let's turn to Matthew again. (laughs) (laughs) Again. (laughs) Again. Andy, just tell me when we're rolling. We are, sir, rolling. And we have all the people, and they all sound pretty good. Excellent.